right, uh, greetings to all of our campuses. We are so glad you are here. Uh, believe it or not, Easter is uh, two weeks away. Um, we are so excited about our services that weekend. I want to draw your attention to uh, an Easter flyer in your information packet. It describes what's going on. Very cool flyer here. It describes what's going on Holy Week, um, Good Friday service times, as well as Easter service times, locations. There's also information about the start of a new Alpha course. And we just want to encourage you to use this flyer to invite friends and family to attend one of the services that weekend. It's going to be great. We are nearing the end, uh, second to the last end here. The next week we're going to finish this series. So we're, we're nearing the end of a teaching series in which we've been talking about how we can face our fears and move forward in the things that God has in store for us. How we can be strong and courageous in the midst of the challenges and the difficulties that we face. God does not want us cowering in fear or overwhelmed by discouragement. He wants us to face our fears in his strength and his power. Well, our focus in this series has been the book of Joshua. In this book, God called a man named Joshua to lead God's people into the land that he had promised them. This, the, the, promised them. the land was beautiful and it was filled with wonderful provision. But in order to embrace the land, the people had to face their fears and step up to some battles. They, they had to move forward in faith. And so we've been learning from their example what that looks like in our own lives. Well, now we come to a place in the book of Joshua where the people have finally moved into the land in a significant way. They have defeated several enemies, and they're now able to assume ownership of the land. So Joshua begins divvying up the land, giving to each tribe of Israel its portion. For nine chapters, the author describes in specific detail where each tribe will live. Nine chapters, and we're not going to focus on that, okay? But nine chapters, we're describing this. So why so much time given to this? It's because it marks a significant transition for God's people. Up to this point in the book, they've all been together, working together to obtain possession of the land. They've been working together. And now, when we get to Joshua chapter 22, that task is done for the most part. That goal has been accomplished. They are now going to be separating into various regions according to each specific tribe that they're from. <clears throat> Still together as a nation, but now regionally divided. And what we see happening in this transition is that all of a sudden they are confronted with a new challenge, a relational challenge. How are they going to stay unified? How are they going to stay together relationally in this new situation? That's a really important question, not just for them, but for us as well. Because the truth is, being strong and courageous is not simply an individual activity. It's something that involves healthy relationships as well. When, when, when our relationships are healthy, whether in our family or our school or our workplace, it makes a huge difference in our ability to face challenges, our ability to face our fears, to know that we are together in this. We're not on our own. We are on a team together. What a huge difference that can make in our lives. We're not alone. We're in this together. And we all want that. 
I mean, we, we all want that. But here's the deal. Even though we want this and we need this, there is something in all of us as humans, there is something in us as humans that often undermines this reality. There is a tendency in, in, in all of us, a tendency most of us are unaware of, and yet this tendency will sabotage our relationships. It will undermine our ability to be unified with others in any relational context. It's that significant. So in Joshua 22, we see this very dynamic at work, and it almost, it almost blows up this entire promised land experience and turns it into a bloody civil war, almost. This, this one relational dynamic, it is that significant. We, di- we dare not miss this. It has the power to blow up families, blow up churches, workplaces. It, it does it all the time. So what is it? I'm not going to tell you yet, okay? Um, I don't want to give it away too soon. So let's look at what happens here. If you have your Bible or iPad or smartphone or whatever, turn to, feel free to turn to Joshua chapter 22. Just to set the context, before the people, this is years before, before the people had entered the promised land and Moses was still alive, three of the tribes had gone to Moses and they had asked him if they could settle on the east side of the Jordan River. Even though most of the promised land was on the west side, these tribes wanted to settle on the east side of the Jordan. And Moses said, sure. So going back to Joshua chapter 1, as the people are getting ready to cross the Jordan and enter into the promised land, Joshua brings this up with these three tribes. And he tells them, look, you're going to get the land you requested on this side of the Jordan. But before you completely settle into this land, we need your help. We need your fighting men to cross the Jordan with us and help us gain possession of the land. Once you do that, once you help us, you are free to go back and settle on the east side of the Jordan. So that's what happens. These three tribes cross the Jordan with the rest of the people. They participate in the battles, helping bring them into or helping them get into the promised land. Which brings us to Joshua 22, verse 1. Then Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, and you have obeyed me in everything I commanded. For a long time now, to this very day, you have not deserted your fellow Israelites, but have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave you. Now that the Lord your God has given them rest as he promised... Return to your homes in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. But be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. To love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Okay, Joshua is basically saying, thank you. Thanks for upholding your end of the bargain. Thanks for battling with us. Now you are free to go back. You're free to go back and settle in the land east of the Jordan. And as you go back there, by the way, as you go back there, remember what unites us. Loving God, following his commands. We are his people. So even if we're separated geographically, we are still unified in him. So everything is great. Everything's great. They leave, and they head back to their land. But on the way, they decide to do something. 
They build an altar. They build an altar. We're told in verse 10 that it is an imposing altar. It's big. It's noticeable. Now, at this point in the narrative, we don't know why they built the altar. We don't know their motives. We don't know their purpose. All we know is that this altar is built. And this is where it gets interesting. Verse 11. And when the Israelites, the rest of the tribes, when the Israelites heard that they had built the altar on the border of Canaan at Gelaloth near the Jordan on the Israelites' side, the whole assembly of Israel gathered at Shiloh to go to war against them. Whoa, I mean, back up the truck here. What, what just happened? These three tribes build an altar, and the rest of Israel is ready to go to war over it. They are ready to do battle. They are ready to kill their fellow Israelites. I mean, what is going on here? What, what, what is going on here that would cause this? Well, what's going on? What's going on? And we're going to see in just a moment. What's going on is the surfacing of this relational dynamic I talked about earlier. This one little thing has the power to do incredible damage in our relationships, in our school, in our workplace, in our church. What is it? Assuming. Assuming. We make assumptions about this other person, about what they're doing and why they're doing that. And more often than not, our assumptions are negative. We assume the worst about this person. Without gathering any information, we automatically attach a negative motivation or a negative character, character quality to this other person. Oh, they only made that decision because they're full of themselves. They, they don't care about anyone else. Or they only did that because of their greed or, or because they don't, they don't like me very much. I mean, how often do we instinctively respond to someone's actions or decisions or their appearance by assuming the worst about them? By assuming the worst. And here's the deal. Here's the deal about assuming. When we assume the worst, the worst often becomes reality. When we assume the worst about people, the worst often becomes reality. Assuming things about another person often results in things going south. It often results in lots of damage being done. I vividly remember, I forgot everything else in this physics class in college, but I vividly remember my professor going up to the chalkboard. They actually had chalkboards back then. Remember that? Not whiteboards, but chalkboards. And he wrote, he wrote the word assume on the chalkboard, A-S-S-U-M-E. And he walked through the word by saying, when you assume, it makes an, and he focused on the first three letters, I won't say it, but he focused on the first three letters of the word. When you assume, it makes an blank out of you and me. Okay, you're never going to look at that word the same again. I know. Assume. But he was absolutely right in a crass sort of way, but he was absolutely right. Assuming causes all sorts of damage all around. That's what's going on in this passage. These three tribes build this altar, right? 
The rest of the Israelites from the other tribes, they don't know why these three tribes built it. They don't know what their heart is. They don't know what their motivation. But when they hear about it, they're ready to fight. They are assuming all sorts of negative things about these three tribes. These three tribes that they have actually fought alongside just a few days ago. These tribes that they have served with and, and battled with. But when a few days, all of that seems to be forgotten. And they immediately begin to assume the worst about their fellow Israelites. Now, when we assume negative things about another person, we typically respond in one of two ways. Fight or flight. Fight or flight. We either attack or we avoid. <clears throat> so let me talk about avoidance first because that's probably the, 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 the most usual, the most often the instinctive response for most of us, I should say, avoidance. So let's say a coworker starts to be more cold and distant from us. They don't say hi, they don't smile, maybe they're not returning emails or texts or whatever, and it hurts, and we don't know what's going on. But here's what we do. We assume they don't like us anymore. They don't like us anymore. They don't want to hang out with us. They don't want to be around us. So our response is to avoid them, to avoid them. We withdraw. We don't know why they're acting distant from us and cold towards us, but instead of finding out, we just assume and now the relationship is in trouble. That's avoiding. We do it all the time. That's avoiding. That's the flight response. Now what we see in this passage is the other typical response. Fight. We attack. Look at verse 13. If you have it open there, you, uh, yeah, you'll need to look there um, to see. We'll start in verse 13 here to verse 20. Let me read this. So the Israelites sent um, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the priest, to the land of Gilead, to Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. They said to them, the whole assembly of the Lord says, how could you break faith with the God of Israel like this? How could you turn away from the Lord and build yourselves an altar in rebellion against him now? If you rebel against the Lord today, tomorrow he will be angry and the whole community of Is with the whole community of Israel, do not rebel against the Lord or against us by building an altar for yourselves other than the altar of the Lord our God. When Achan, son of Zerah, was unfaithful in regard to devoted things, did not wrath come on the whole community of Israel? He was not the only one who died for his sin. I mean, whoa, take a breath. I mean, seriously. I mean, notice the verbal barrage that Phineas launches into. He is assuming all these horrible motives, and he's just spewing forth accusations based on his assumptions. He's assuming the altar was built to another god, that it was a blatant act of rebellion. Now, if that were the case... If that were the case, he would have every right to be upset. The Israelites would have every right to be upset. I mean, here, here are these three tribes of Israel who at the first chance they get are now rebelling against the Lord. And they all know what happens when they rebel against the Lord, right? They all pay for it. We looked at the story of Achan, how Achan was mistaken, right? A couple weeks ago, we looked at that, the example of Achan. We talked about that and how his individual rebellion resulted and impacted the entire Israel community and, and several men died on the battlefield because of it. So again, if these tribes are rebelling against the Lord, the Israelites have every right to be concerned. The problem the problem 
is that little word, if. If they're rebelling. But they don't know yet. They don't know if that's the case. But they're assuming that it is. They don't have any, any information directly from these three tribes. All they have are their assumptions. And those assumptions are causing them to spew forth all sorts of accusations, imputing their motives, their character, their loyalty, their faithfulness to God. You see, this is what inevitably happens in the cesspool of assumption. This is what inevitably happens. We start to get all worked up. I can't believe they would do that. How dare they make that decision? And some anger, some bitterness kind of gets stirred in there, begins to take hold. The relationship begins to suffer. And we choose one of the two responses I just mentioned, fight or flight. We verbally attack the person. How could you do that? How many of us parents of teenagers have done this? <laughs> you know, we assume the worst. And how could you do that? And then we hear, oops, the explanation, right? So we verbally attack the person. Or more often than not, we just withdraw. We start to distance ourselves from them. Or maybe we decide it's, it's time to leave the church. It's time to quit our job. I mean, it's tragic. We take all these steps to get worked up and to remove ourselves or to distance ourselves, but we fail to take the one step Scripture commands us to take. Go to the person and get firsthand information about why that decision was made. Don't assume. Don't talk to 15 other people about your assumptions to try to see if others agree with your assumptions. Go to the person and ask them. Go to your coworker. Go to your teenager. Go to your spouse. Go to your friend. Find out what's going on. That's the scriptural principle. I mean, Jesus urges us to do this in Matthew 18, and we see it played out here in Joshua 22 as well. Now, I will say, that even though there was quite a bit of intensity in the initial dialogue, at least these people had enough sense to go talk to these three tribes and express their concerns, even if it wasn't an intense accusatory way. At least they were talking, rather than immediately picking up the, the, their weapons and attacking. So what happened? Well, after Phineas takes a breath, these three tribes are able to explain themselves. Verse 21, then Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh replied to the heads of the clans of Israel, the mighty one, God, the Lord, the mighty one, God, the Lord, he knows. When you see something repeated in Hebrew, it means it's really important. If you see it three times, it's really, really important. Here he's repeating just the mighty one, God, the Lord, this is, this, he's emphasizing this. He knows, and let Israel know. If this has been in rebellion or disobedience to the Lord, do not spare us this day. 
If we have built our own altar to turn away from the Lord and to offer burnt offerings and grain offerings or to sacrifice fellowship offerings on it, may the Lord himself call us to account. No, we did it for fear that someday your descendants might say to ours, what do you have to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? The Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you you Reubenites and Gadites. You have no share in the Lord. So your descendants might cause ours to stop fearing the Lord. This is why we said, let us get ready and build an altar. But not for burnt offerings or sacrifices. On the contrary, it is to be a witness between us and you and the generations that follow that we will worship the Lord at his sanctuary with our burnt offerings, sacrifices, and fellowship offerings. Then in the future, your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no share in the Lord. Ah. Suddenly, the light comes on. (laughs) Suddenly, in the midst of all the, the, the swirling assumptions and the escalating emotions, suddenly, these tribes are given the opportunity to explain their actions. And it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. They weren't building the altar in rebellion. They were actually building it as a picture of unity as a picture of unity, as an expression of their desire to make sure that they are not forgotten by the other tribes. That's why they built it. This is so powerful and it is so real. It highlights how horribly wrong our assumptions can be. I mean, the Israelites couldn't have been more wrong in, their, in the conclusions they were drawing. They couldn't have been more wrong. Seriously, I mean, they were assuming rebellion and all sorts of evil intent, when in reality, these three tribes were expressing their own concern that they would be forgotten by the rest of Israel. Now, here's, what's, here's what becomes so clear in this passage, and this is where it kind of drives it home for all of us here. We, all of us here, we all look at life through our own lens. We do. We all look at life through our own lens, through our own self-centered lens, how it impacts us. That's our natural sinful tendency. The problem is that view is very limiting. (laughs) It's very limiting. And it often keeps us from seeing things from the other person's perspective or even trying to explore things from another person's perspective or discover what another person's perspective is. All we can see is just our own through our own lens. And it makes total sense to us. Or we see it through our own hurts. We filter it through our own shame. Or we have all sorts of things where we filter other people's actions. We assume the worst because maybe we've got issues. There are all sorts of reasons we do this. But we do it all the time. And again, this is, this is why it is so important, because we look at things through our lens, this is why it's so important that we go to the person and we hear their heart, we hear their story. Our assumptions are often wrong 
or misinformed. It's amazing the impact when we hear the other person's perspective. I remember a a few years ago hearing about a a friend who had left our church. Um, I had baptized this man. I knew his family. We'd we'd hung out some. And so I was kind of hurt and confused. And and he hadn't hadn't told me they were leaving, hadn't let me know or anything. And so, so when I heard about it, when I heard that they were no longer, they were attending, actually attending another church. They were already settled into another church. I called them up. And, and I said, hey, let's get together. I'd like to talk about this. So we met, just he and I met. And, and so I just said, what, what happened? What, what, what's going on? What happened? And so he, he had this list of, of like seven separate items of incidents, things that happened, sermon series, whatever it was. Just seven, I remember there were like seven things. He had a list of these seven things that had been concerns over the past several months, things at this church that had happened. He had never come to me to talk to me about it. He'd never talked to any other leader about any of these things. So, so he, all he and his wife had were their perceptions of what was happening, and they would talk about that, right? They had their, their perceptions of what was happening in the church and, and why this decision was being made, why that decision was being made. And, and this, this happens so often when we don't talk to people and we just have these, these, this list that keeps growing, here's what we start doing. We start connecting dots. And that's what they had been doing. They, they, so he and his wife, as they're talking about all this stuff over several months or whatever, they just begin connecting dots and coming to some very negative conclusions about our church. Oh, that's why they're doing that. Oh, and there's another example. They had this negative perception. They were just connecting these dots and drawing conclusions about our church, things that weren't accurate. From my perspective, things that weren't accurate. So after he shared these concerns, I listened. After he shared these concerns, I just kind of went one by one. And I just explained, oh, oh yeah, here, here's why that decision was made. Um, and, and, oh, and in this situation, here's what happened here. This is information you wouldn't have known, but here's what happened here. Here's why we, we did that. And then I said, oh, oh, in that one, yeah, we agree. We, didn't, we were not going to do that again. We realized that was not a wise thing to do, and so we're not going to do that again. Just went through the list one, one by one just providing information about each situation. And as I did so, his, his entire countenance began to change. Finally, with tears in his eyes, he said, we should have come talk to you when we started to feel this stuff. We jumped to all sorts of conclusions that weren't true. And he said, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. That kind of thing happens all the time. Not only in the church, which it does happen, not just our church, any church. It happens all the time in, in any of our relational contexts. At work, at school, with a family member, with a roommate, with a neighbor. It happens all the time. Things happen and we immediately attach a negative motivation or a reason, to negative reason to that without ever talking to the person about it. And then as those things compile, we start connecting dots and creating this very evil image of this person or church or whatever it is. But we never talk to the person about it. Maybe we talk to other people and it just reinforces our conclusions, but they're all based on assumption. So the situation I mentioned a moment ago, say a coworker who suddenly feels distant, stops smiling, they feel kind of cold to us. We assume the worst. They don't like me anymore. 
right? Our feelings are hurt. We start to withdraw. I'm not, I'm not going to stop emailing them. I'm stop texting. We're not going to do lunch anymore. Just we withdraw. But let's just play this out a little di- in a different way. Instead of avoiding them, let's say you go to them and ask them how they're doing. And you find out that, that her husband is leaving her. Or her mother just passed away. Or maybe her husband was just diagnosed with cancer. See, suddenly the light bulb comes on. Ah, that's why she's been distant. That's why he hasn't responded to emails or texts or whatever with so much going on in their lives. I mean, it's amazing how radically our perspective can change when suddenly the light is turned on and we see the other person's perspective. We hear their motivation. We hear their story, their heart. We may not agree with them, but by talking about it in a reasonable and gentle way, we at least understand them. We at least understand them. We we feel heard. Peacemaking happens rather than spiraling conflict. In In the absence of communication, we always assume the worst. This is true in an organization, it's true in relationships. In the absence of communication, we almost always, 99% of the time, we assume the worst. It's just the way it is. And it ends up damaging our relationships. Let me just ask, are there relationships right now, are there relationships in your life right now where you are basing your response on an assumption? where you are basing your response to this person on an assumption, where you are feeling something negative toward another person and responding to that when in reality you don't know their perspective. You haven't talked with them about it. How much damage is done in our relational world because of assumptions? We assume something and withdraw from this person and then guess what they're thinking? Why are they withdrawing from me? When I need them the most, right? Sometimes it's like that. Why why are they withdrawing from me? And they withdraw further. It's sad. It is tragic. And it happens all the time. But it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. There can be a happier ending. We can have healthier relationships. How? By choosing to approach rather than assume. We can choose to approach the person rather than assume things about them. This one decision can have a huge impact in our relational world, in our marriage, in our parenting, in our friendships, in our church, in our workplace. Approach rather than assume. So back to our story. After these three tribes give their explanation, Everything changes. <laughs> the intensity level drops, right, significantly in the room. The weapons are put away. They're once again unified in spirit, unified in the Lord. So Phineas and the rest of the delegation go back to Canaan, and they give a report to the rest of the Israelites about what happened. And here, here was the Israelites' response, verse 33. They were glad to hear the report and praised God. And they talked no more about going to war against them. That's pretty cool. They worshiped. They praised God. Their animosity and anger were gone. 
What about the other side, those three tribes that had been accused? How dare they accuse us? No, no, that's not what happened here. Verse 34, and the Reubenites and the Gadites gave the altar this name, a witness between us that the Lord is God. See, they're worshiping as well, acknowledging the Lord's presence and power. I mean, what a dramatic change of events. Suddenly into this heated situation where lots of damage could have been done, civil war size stuff, both sides are worshiping God. Their hearts are loving toward each other. See, that's, that's the path Jesus invites us to take in our relationships, to approach rather than assume. To approach rather than assume. I mean, we, we've seen how assuming can do so much relational damage. It can sabotage our relationships, our families, our church. None of us want that. There, there is too much at stake to not follow Jesus in this area. Too much at stake. So here's the bottom line lesson, lesson for all of us here. Here's the bottom line. Conflict happens. We've got to put that on a bumper sticker maybe. But uh, conflict happens. It does in the most unified of organizations, in the healthiest of marriages. Conflict happens. The presence of conflict does not indicate a horrible relationship. Conflict happens. It is inevitable. Choices are made. Assumptions happen. Emotions rise. Anger and bitterness are crouching at the door to wreak havoc. In those moments, all of us here have a choice. We have a choice. We can adopt a fight-or-flight mentality. That's one option. Attacking or avoiding the situation altogether, which will weaken and undermine our relationships. Or we can choose to be strong and courageous, going to the person with whom we're feeling anger and hurt and talking about it, gently expressing our concerns and listening as they share their perspective. That choice can make such a difference in our lives, in our family, in our church. So how can we make that choice? How do we have the strength to make that choice? The cross of Jesus. The cross of Christ is what makes this possible. I mean, when every fiber in our being wants to avoid talking about it, Jesus' grace and truth extended to us on the cross enable us to extend grace and truth to the other person. And the implications of that decision are huge. Israel's experience of the promised land would have been sabotaged by civil war had they chosen the fight or flight response. And let me just get us thinking about this. Who knows? Who knows what plans God has in store for us and for our church that also will be sabotaged if we choose to assume the worst rather than to engage in dialogue? I mean, no wonder God gives such priority to our relationships. No wonder he spends so much time in Scripture talking about putting on compassion and putting on truth, about moving towards people rather than moving away from them. It's because healthy relationships enable us to be strong and courageous. They enable us to face our challenges and our fears knowing that we're in this together. We are not alone. We need each other. We need to be united. And Jesus gives us the resources we need to make that happen. Amen. Let's pray together.
Holy Spirit, would you come right now? And I pray you would bring to our mind any relationship in our circle of influence where we're assuming things, where we're attacking or avoiding rather than approaching. Or we don't have enough information, but we're drawing all sorts of conclusions about people's motives, our, our child's teacher, or people we're interacting with. We're assuming all sorts of things about their motives and drawing conclusions about the reasons why they're doing things when we have not talked to them. And it's causing us to be angry and bitter, to attack, withdraw. God help us. So as, as, the, as the Holy Spirit brings to mind those relationships, let's just offer them to the Lord and ask for his help to have the courage to approach gently and say, look, here, here, baby, I'm, I'm noticing this. Could you tell me what's going on there? Tell me why this decision was made. I just want to understand. Let's take a moment in the quiet of our heart and just pray for these relationships where we're assuming. Lord, I, I confess, we confess, we do this all the time. <laughs> we just do this all about the insignificant things. We just assume things. Lord, would you help us understand how so often we just look at the world through this lens, this self-centered lens. We need your help in removing that. And in, in, through, the, through your grace and truth, Jesus, and to, to move towards people, to approach, to understand rather than to assume. Would you help us do that, Lord? I pray for all of our relationships. Your healing would be poured out. That, that reconciliation would happen. Peacemaking would happen where it needs to happen with people. Conversations that need to happen would happen, Lord. That we would not, as followers of you, we would not be participants in sabotaging relationships in our workplace in conversations with coworkers about our boss or whatever, Lord, we would not be participating. We would be examples of your light in your life, seeking to understand rather than assume. So help us. And I just pray for a strengthening of relationships all across this room, a strengthening of relationships, of marriages and parent-child relationships and boss, you know, employer-employee relationships and and. Uh, friendship relationships, Lord, as we apply these truths in your power, Jesus. Thank you for being, thank, thank you for the cross, and because of the cross, we can make peace. We can be peacemakers. So help us have the courage to do that. And I pray for our church, we would be unified. We would have healthy relationships. We would tenaciously go after this. 
no assuming. We would have conversations. We would understand each other so that we could be unified as we move forward in faith and all that you've called us to. So thank you. Thank you for that, Lord. All right, why don't we stand as the worship team leads us. Let's stand and sing.